Welcome to the ISO on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. I'm your host, Dan Dickow. Today's guest, I don't want to go so far as to call him a Gonzaga hater, but I do know he's a Husky <laughs> lover. Gonzaga hater. He's a, <laughs> wow. <laughs> he's a friend of mine, Eldridge Rakasner. Eldridge, how's life on the west side of the state? Oh, man, over here in Huskyville, it's all right. You call me the Gonzaga hater, man. I try to give you all some love, Dan. Come on, man. Uh, yeah, but... Oh. I, I said I didn't want to go there, so huh? I didn't call you that. I called you a Husky lover, so uh, <laughs> life is good, though, it sounds, huh? Yeah, life is good, man. I can't complain. Well, let's let's first touch on the NBA playoffs because, uh, you know, both of us had, had stretches in the NBA where we got to see the best in the world up close, and the best in the world in the NBA playoffs is a whole nother beast. You see the adjustments made by coaches. You see the preparation that players do. What has caught your eye in this year's NBA playoffs? Uh, I think before we get in that, Dan, I, I'll say this. I saw Jokic uh, was named the MVP earlier today, which was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, not not saying that he's, he's not deserving, but I just thought what Joel Embiid did this year was outstanding. You know, with the expectation, taking his game to another level. I thought he was dominant. All year long, he kind of reminds me a lot. Uh, he shows me a lot of flashes of Hakeem Olajuwon. So I was a bit, I was a bit surprised by that move. Uh, as far as the playoffs as a whole, um, you know, the Nets were my team. You know, I was I was really pulling for Kyrie and uh, and KD, but they just couldn't seem to get it done. Um, I've been enjoying the games. Don't necessarily agree with all of this. Uh, you know, they broke the code stuff because you know when I played in the nineties. This was just basic plays. You were getting knocked out of the air. You knew it. So when you went to the basket, you kind of braced yourself for it. I thought the I thought that Gary Payton the second, you know, fall and fractured his wrist due to uh due to Dylan Brooks was, you know, I thought it was an accident. I, I know Dylan wanted to foul him hard to try to prevent a, a layup, but I don't think he meant to hurt him. Um the grab on John Morant by Jordan Poole is just strange. I've I've never seen a player grab another player's knee. I don't, I don't understand what he was trying to do there, but I don't think he was trying to hurt him either. So you'll hear that guys talk about, oh, he broke this code, he broke that code. It's playoff basketball. You know, guys are trying to win his championship. It's physical. That's just a part of the game. But the NBA has made the game so non-contact and, you know, tacky, you touch somebody, it's a foul. So everybody's overreacting. I mean, the Pistons would have never won a championship if they had called games the way they're calling today back in the 90s. The Knicks wouldn't have made the playoffs. You know, the Indiana Pacers. I mean, Dan, you know, it was just a physical game. You knew what to expect, especially when it became playoff time, because everything goes up a notch in the playoffs. So, but I've been enjoying the games. I, I can't honestly tell you who's going to win it. But I think if I had to pick a team from the East, I got to roll with the Milwaukee Bucks. I just think Giannis is just, he's just a monster, man. They got George Hill back. I think he's going to help. Out West, I really, <laughs> I really don't know what's going to go on. You know, I'm thinking Golden State, but they don't have any bigs. You know, Kevon Looney. I don't think it's good enough to lead them to a championship. And uh, the perimeter players are great, but everybody looked like they're one injury away of being knocked out of it. So if, if you can say anything, is this this year is really wide open. Yeah, I want to stay on the bro break the code deal because uh, that Jordan Poole kind of grab of the knee, that was weird. Like, I agree with you. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a play like it. Yeah. Uh, the Dylan Brooks one. I get it, what you're talking about, because in the 80s and 90s, that was a normal foul. 
but you would prepare yourself for that back then. Now, because of the way the game is called, as, as you talked about it, um, you don't expect a foul to come. You just expect a free lane to the rim. And that's why I think it, it became such a kind of controversial play. And, and I think it's also because Dylan Brooks has that, he plays with that edge that not all guys yeah. play with now. Tell me a little bit more about your take on that Pistons, Knicks, Pacers, because I agree with you. You would need a roster of 20 if the game was called <laughs> the way that they play, you know, just to get through the first half. I mean, tell us a little bit about just how physical the game was when you first broke into the league. Yeah, I mean, it was it was grown men, Dan. I it's one of the differences. You know, guys weren't leaving after their freshman year back then. You know, the best in the history of the game, you know, say two, three years. You know, uh, Magic, I think, left after his sophomore year. Jordan after his junior year. So guys were just a lot more physically developed and uh, – it was a intimidation was a factor. Intimidation is no longer a factor today. You know, I saw uh, I, I can't remember what game it was, but I saw a guy get 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 teched up. I think he dunked on somebody. And he turned around and said something, and then boom, he got a T. And the first thing that came to my mind was, "Wow, Gary Payton would have never played because he'd have been thrown out of every game. He'd have got teched up." You know, so it's just it's, it's different. I like the fact that they're trying to clean it up. They don't want it to be you know just just butcher ball out there, but at the same time, basketball is a contact sport. You know, when yeah. you got so much on the line, Dan, you know, guys want to win. They're not going to give up easy layups. I mean, when I played, it was guys I didn't like. It was guys I actually hated, but I wouldn't have never tried to hurt them. You know, I'd follow them hard, but I wouldn't try to hurt them. So I don't think Dylan Brooks' play was intentional to hurt Gary Payton II. It just was an unfortunate situation where he couldn't catch himself, tried to brace himself with his, with, his, with, his, with his arm and ended up fracturing his wrist. But the game has definitely changed, man. I, I think a lot of success you see, and I'll go straight to the top, but one of the most exciting guys to watch who was Steph Curry. I just don't think he would have been as effective in our era with the hand check rule and the physical play because he has freedom of movement and he pretty much can do whatever he wants. You know, you touch him and it's a foul. I can't imagine Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan playing in the rules today, man. They would probably average somewhere in the 40s, you know, because you couldn't guard him when you could put your hands on him. Okay, so can you imagine not being able to touch him? It would really be fun to watch those guys with today's rules. Did you play with Del Curry during your, your time with the Hornets uh, or were those separate times? Played against him. Never played with him, but I played against him. He's, for me personally, was, was the hardest shooter to guard and, the, and one of the best shooters in the history of the game, in my opinion. If I had a choice between, if they asked me who you want to guard, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, or Del Curry, I'm picking Ray Allen or Reggie Miller before I pick Del Curry because he just was amazing, man. He redirected shots, man. You know what I mean? The guy didn't even, you know, you hear people talk about get your shoulders square and your feet set. Oh, hell no. He just caught the ball and boom, it was gone. If he wasn't right there in his grill, you were going to get it in your eye. He's, he's probably the quickest release that I've ever played against, without a so doubt. So, so let's kind of go back and forth on some underrated shooters over the, the course of the NBA. Um, one that comes to mind really quickly for me is Dale Ellis. Who would come to mind quickly for you? I think Dale Ellis is one of the greatest of all time. When I, the guys that I think were the greatest shooters, Dale Ellis, Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, uh, Dale Curry. And then it's guys like Mark Price, man. I think when you look up the word jump shot in the dictionary, his pictures to be in there. He was an outstanding uh, jump shooter, but I think Chuck person in his prime Chuck, Chuck had a, had a, had a really nice jump shot. Uh, guys like Eddie Johnson, 
Another guy I think that doesn't get enough credit, but you're probably right out of out of the, out of the all time greats. Dale Ellis is the one that probably isn't talked about enough. Let's go back to trash talking because you mentioned Gary Payton for a second uh, in regards to a play that happened. Now a guy turns around and says something. Um, I played against Gary not as many times as you did, but if you were within earshot, you were either going to be intimidated or you were going to be laughing because he was talking <laughs> the whole entire game. Uh, he was probably the greatest trash talker I remember playing against. Reggie Miller was up there as well, but who would be those guys in your opinion? Oh, Gary's at the top of the list. I mean, because he did it with a, with a, with a, with a malice and a viciousness, you know, I think Reggie did it just in fun play, but I'll tell you some, some underrated trash talkers is Steve Smith. You know, my teammate with the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, he was always <laughs> talking smack, man. <laughs> Steve was from Detroit. Steve was a trash talker. Uh, Derek Harper. Derek Harper, Harper, really? Derek Harper talked to me for a whole entire game one time. <laughs> you know, one of just a great defender, guy that talked a lot of trash. But I, I would say outside of Gary Payton, I, I think I think Steve Smith, Reggie Miller, obviously. But but Gary Gary was the MVP of the trash talkers, no doubt. You mentioned uh, your pick for MVP would have been Joel Embiid, and he's a tremendous big man. He's kind of one of those guys that could play in today's era because he's He's got enough skill set. He's finesse enough, but then he creates problems on the low block with his strength, his power, his agility. He reminds a lot of people of Akeem Olajuwon. How good was Akeem Olajuwon? Because, I mean, I think you you put him in the top four centers of all time, regardless of era. Oh, it's phenomenal, Dan. You know, uh, I just remember watching him in practice, man. He was, he was the first guy to get there. He was always one of the last guys to leave. And I'll tell your listeners a funny story. You know, my rookie year was 95, 96, right after they won back-to-back championships. So one day practice ended and he came over to me. He said, hey, let's play one-on-one. And I said, one-on-one? I said, man, I I can't guard you in the post. He he said, no, we play from the perimeter. And I said, huh? He said, yeah, we play from the perimeter. So I'm like, wait, no way in hell he's going to be able to guard me from the perimeter. Man, Dan, he had handles. He had a jump shot. Man, he was taking me, was knocking down jumpers. I mean, Akeem Olajuwon was just absolutely fantastic, man. I, I think after Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Will Chamberlain, he's the next greatest big man of all time. He just was that good. You talked about Joel Embiid. I watched him the other night, Dan. He came down on the fast break, and he done the Euro step. Hell, he did it better than Manu Ginobili and Dwayne Wade at seven foot one. I mean, <laughs> the guy is just amazing, man. Has a sweet touch on his jump shot. Um, just one of the nice, bright, young superstars in the, in the league, and Nikola Jokic, man, is probably my favorite player to watch. There's just nothing he can't do at seven foot. He shoots the jumper. He'll post you up. He drops dimes. He gets the rebound. He brings it up court. I still thought that this year in particular, I thought NBA earned it, earned the award. But you can't really argue that, that Jokic wasn't great as well. Yeah, I think those are two were clearly the, the top two favorites, in my opinion. And then it just goes to a matter of, you know, uh, what the voters thought that player did to impact his team in the win loss column and and Denver had a lot of injuries throughout the year. Uh, Let's, let's go to the college game now for, for our listeners. UW is, is a passion for you. You played at UW. You were all packed. Was it pack eight or pack 10 by then when you were at UW? Stop, man. Stop. (laughs) Hey, I know it wasn't the pack 12 for either one of us, but I had to, Eight either. Okay. <laughs> I ain't that damn old. 
<laughs> so you were an all pack 10 performer on, on a number of occasions uh, at UW. There's a proud history of, of basketball there. They've been a little up and down under my Hopkins the last couple of years. What, what's been the difference or what needs to change to get them back to the, the top couple teams in the Pac-12? I think the last couple of seasons, they missed out on some of the top players in, in, in the area. You know, you guys ended up landing one of them, Nolan Hickman. Nolan Hickman, Paulo Banchero, and Shane Noel were the top three guys coming out of the Seattle area two years ago, and, and none of them chose the UW. I think that hurt. Uh, the year they had Jaden McDaniels and Isaiah Stewart, they didn't, they didn't do as well as everybody thought they would. Both those guys were top five players in the country. And uh, it just seems like, you know, Mike Hopkins started off great, you know, back-to-back Pac-12 Coach of the Year awards. And since then, like you said, it's really been a struggle. I think last year the, the season was saved. By the transfer from Arizona, Terrell Brown Jr. just had a fantastic season. I personally thought he was the best story in all of college basketball then. I, I mean, I really thought he was that good. A young man has zero Division I scholarships coming out of high school. He goes on to lead the Pac-12 conference in scoring. I think he might have led the whacking scoring before then, before he transferred to Arizona. So he was just a fantastic story. I can't tell you what to expect next year because I don't know how many guys are going to are gonna play? Uh, I know they got a kid named Corin Johnson from Garfield that's coming in. The weirdest thing for me, Dan, and it's the strangest thing I've ever seen, you mentioned the NIL, but the transport portal. Yeah. I mean, you, nightmare. You, you call me a Gonzaga hater. I, I, I respect Mark Few and what he's done. But back in my day, we never played Gonzaga. A lot of guys start transferring over from UW to Gonzaga like yourself. So, yeah, in your era, I probably hated Gonzaga. I wouldn't have never left UW and went and played for Gonzaga like you did. I wouldn't, I just couldn't do it. So, to see Noah Williams leaving Washington State and coming to UW and Frank yeah. Kepner leaving Oregon and coming to UW, our two biggest rivals, I'm just like, it'd be like, it'd be like Cedric Maxwell leaving the Celtics and going to play for the Lakers, you know, or, or, or Bird going to the Lakers or Magic going to the Celtics. It's just unheard of, man. I just, I don't understand it. I, I really don't. The transfer portal, I understand the logic behind it. You know, maybe a guy's not a good fit for a particular situation. But when you got over 2,000 kids per year, yeah, hey, come on, man. It's like it's like free agency didn't hit college basketball. You're exactly right. It is free agency. And, and I was a player that transferred. But back then, there was a limited amount of guys that transferred, 150, 200 maybe at the most. And if you transferred, it put a huge black mark on your, quote, resume. Coaches wanted to know, is he not tough enough? Is he hiding an injury? Uh, can he not cut it in school? Did, is the kid just not good enough? Now it's like they put their names in the transfer portal uh, to see what better options are out there. I just it's, it's, it's difficult for me to see knowing that I love college basketball the way I do. And I think the other thing, Dan, is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe back in the day when you transferred, you had to sit out a year. And if you transferred in conference, you had to sit out two years. Here's the deal. Today, you could just transfer and you're, you're eligible to play immediately. And I, and I think that's a part of the problem, because if you did decide to leave a UW or to leave a Gonzaga, you had to really think hard about it and say, do I really want to do this? Because I'm going to have to sit out a season, you know? But now they just they made it so easy for not only to transfer to another school. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with a guy leaving UW going to Gonzaga being eligible to play, like say a, a Nigel Williams Goss. But to be able to transfer in conference, to yeah. go from a Wazoo to a UW or Oregon to a UW is just that's insane, man. 
I, I just, so, I don't get it. So how do you, you're a Seattle guy now. You've lived there since your playing career is done. Uh, but you're you're a passionate Husky fan, but you call college basketball games for a number of different networks. So you've yeah. seen the growth of, of Noah Williams as a Cougar. And you probably in the back of your mind have like, oh, he's a Cougar, but he's from Seattle. So I pull for him to a, for a certain extent, but I don't pull for him like you were a Husky. How do you flip the switch now as a fan now that he's a Husky? I don't know how the other fans are going to flip the switch, but I, I'm just <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm looking at it and I'm, and I'm really scratching my head because, boy, nobody talked more. Now, speaking of trash talkers, he might be the number one trash talker in the Pac-12 conference. I mean, when they came and beat Seattle back-to-back years, boy, I mean, he really laid into the Husky fans. He was calling Seattle his town. I will say this, Dan. I know coming out of high school, because I know his dad guy. I know his sisters. I know he wanted to go to UW. UW had extended an uh, offer for a while and I think they ended up selling on uh, Marcus Sahonis. Yeah. And kid. Just by luck, Noah ended up at Washington State because Kyle Smith was recruiting him at the University of San Francisco. I don't know if you remember, Noah committed to a uh, Buffalo out of yep. high school with Nate Oates. Yep. And then when Nate Oates took the Alabama job, he decommitted. Kyle Smith got the got the Washington State job. He ended up there. It's just gonna be it's it's, it's gonna be weird. You know what I mean? Imagine, yeah. imagine you're his teammate now. He was just talking major smack to you. Yeah. You know, how is that going to work in practice? Yeah. Does he I get mean, rid of all his era, gear? In my era, somebody would have hit him the first practice. Bam! For all that smack he was talking. I don't know how that's going to work. It's going to be strange. And the same thing with Frank Kepnon. I mean, I love Big Frank's energy, his passion that he plays with. But, he, you know, he was on the enemy side, you know. And it's just, it's, it's just going to be – I know firsthand how it is because my last year with the Atlanta Hawks, we had just played Charlotte in the playoffs and lost, and then that was my next team. So now all of a sudden, three months later, I'm teammates with the guys I was just elbowing and <laughs> going to battle with, you know? So it's, 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 it's a weird feeling. Yeah, yeah that, that, that is going to be – I think that's a, that's a unique and interesting storyline in the Pac-12 this upcoming year to follow is, is Noah Williams in particular. Frank Kempnong, yes, but the, the Noah Williams one to UW was interesting. Um, want to ask you about your, your, your college basketball broadcasting that you've kind of grown into. Um, most people don't understand and realize how much reading and watching of games that we have to do. What's your typical prep like? Oh man, I'm watching all the games, you know, Dan, if I, if I, uh, if I get my schedule, I try to watch everybody that's, that's going to be on my schedule. It's a little bit easier for the PAC 12 games. I'm pretty sure just like you, because we watch those games all the time. The WCC games, you know, the Gonzaga Conference, I know you watch those games all the time. But it's other teams that they play in a non-conference season that that most of the time you, you aren't familiar with. You know, the University of Maine's, the Wyoming's, you know, the, the, the schools like that that you just don't see all the time. So I would say uh, I put a lot of time in, Dan, because the last thing I want to do is get on the air and sound like I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. You know, and and, and I know you being a, being a broadcaster, you can pick up, when you're watching the game, the average fan probably can't, but you can pick up when you're watching the game and a team is a terrible three-point shooter and you hear a broadcaster say, oh, with a great three-point shooting team, you're like, what do <laughs> 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 you watch? You know, they can't yeah. throw it in the ocean standing on the Titanic. So I try to be prepared, Dan. Uh, I love college basketball, man. I love the game. But I, I definitely put a lot of hours in. I don't, I don't really watch much NBA until after the college season is over because you really – you really can't do both. Like you said, you you work 
a, a much busier schedule than I do. But when the season's here, I probably have three to four games a week, you know, and I mean a month. And, and, and it's tough to keep up and know what you're talking about and not, you know, I don't want to cheat the fans out of their experience by not being able to pronounce guys' names, not knowing their tendencies, things like that. Little things like that are, are important for me when I'm, when I'm calling the game because I kind of want to educate the fans, you know, the ones that don't really know the game. I try to paint a picture, even though they're watching it on TV, talk about player tendencies, talk about experiences that I had, you know, and uh, it's important to know a guy's game. You know, yeah. just get there and you're watching the game for the first time. You're watching them for the first time like the fans. No, that's not that's not the way I try to do it. You know, that's one of the most fun things and fulfilling things for me as a broadcaster is being able to, to stay connected to the game without worrying about wins and losses. You get to go to practices and get to know some of the players, but also get to know the coaches a little bit more. Is, is there a coach maybe in the last couple of years as you've grown your broadcasting career that – uh, has really impressed you with just their overall approach to the game? I think the guy that's, that's had the most success in my eight years with the Pac-12 network has been Dana Altman. You know, I've really been impressed with what he's been able to do down at Oregon. You talk about a master use of the transfer portal. I mean, they're, they're probably one of the best programs in the country at doing it. But I enjoy Kyle Smith's style. i tell you, one of the most surprising things for me happened just this past season, Dan, because – I watch UCLA. I don't get a lot of UCLA games unless they're playing UW or uh, a Washington State. I never call a game down in LA. But Mick Cronin always just seemed like this mean guy to me, you know. And I was like, wow, he must be, you know, he must be tough to play for. And then at Pac-12 Media Day, I had a chance to sit down with him when we were having lunch on the rooftop. And just what a nice guy, man. And I, and I told him, I said, man, I just thought you was this, <laughs> this guy all the time. I said, but you really seem like a nice guy. So it's kind of cool, like you said, to be able to – we haven't had a chance to go to shoot-arounds a lot in this COVID area, but it's nice when you can go to a practice, get to know the coaches, get to know the, some of the players. I, I think one of my favorite players in, in Pac-12 history was Big G from Oregon State, man. I mean, I just thought the big fella was just a great guy. I love Jared Lucas, you know, uh, just, just some fun guys, man, you know. Yeah, that uh, Mick Cronin uh, – kind of description is perfect. I mean, he does come across as rough and kind of gruff when, when you watch him, but I think he's spectacular as far as when you get him away from the court and just talk basketball, because you could tell he's got enormous passion and, and a knowledge of the game and he loves to share it. And that's what makes him so fun to be around. Last question, uh, elders, before I let you get going, NIL, it's completely thrown college athletics kind of in a topsy-turvy way. I'm not opposed to players making money at the college level. Uh, I've said for a couple of years since this was on the horizon that it would take two or three years to kind of flush itself out. But it's almost the wild, wild west now with how guys are getting paid. Um, you know, as a former athlete, what are you seeing with some of these numbers that guys are making without having done anything at the college level yet? I'll tell you, I think first and foremost, then I was naive. I, I mean, I just didn't understand how big, I didn't understand how big the dollars were. You know, I, I heard about the NIL, I, you know, I remember Ed O'Bannon, you know, talking about his experience going over to one of his friends' house and his son saying, hey man, you know, you're on this video and you aren't getting paid for it, blah, 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 blah. But to hear that guys are deciding on schools now just based off the financial package is insane to me. You know, I mean, like I said, then I, I don't know. It's just certain schools I couldn't go to because I just didn't like them. 
You know, I don't care what they're offering. I, I no, I, I don't, I don't want to play for you guys. But now it just seems it's coming down to, like you said, I think the biggest example lately. I don't know if you saw it, but the kid, I think his name is Isaiah Juan from the University yeah, from of Miami. From, from Miami, yeah, came out and said if <laughs> if his if his NIL package wasn't increased, he was putting his name in the transfer portal, and I guess he did. And that's just crazy, man. I mean, imagine a nightmare. It is to be a college basketball coach. Now, you got to recruit your own players over at the end of the season because somebody else might be offering them more money to go and play somewhere else. I think it's long overdue then. I'll say this, man. I think it's long overdue that college athletes are getting paid because college basketball is big money. I don't think the fans understand that. So for the fans, you guys that are out there listening, you guys that are, that are going to watch this podcast, it's long overdue. March Madness brings in billions of dollars. I remember John Oliver from last week tonight. He did a special about five or six years ago. It was called March Sadness, talking about how the NCAA takes advantage of college athletes. And we see what the potential of the money is now. I'm hearing guys are getting upwards of a million dollars. Yeah. I'm hearing Drew Timmy got about 500 grand last year. I mean, that's crazy, man. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't leave college, Dan. I wouldn't go pro early. If you're telling me I can get a million bucks, get a great quality education from a great, from a great institution like Gonzaga UW, I'm going to play my whole four years. Hell, if I can walk away with four million, what's the problem? Get a great degree, then I can go on and pursue my NBA career. I just don't know how they're going to sustain it. And what's going to happen to the Washington States and the Oregon States? Yeah. Washington State's whole damn squad, if I'm not mistaken, is in the transfer portal. F.A. Abagidi, Muhammad Gay, Noah Williams left. I mean, everybody. Yeah. Everybody in the water to try to see what they could get. Yeah going to be a, an interesting process because you're right I mean you just look at the financials Seattle and all the the corporate money out of there in a big city versus of Washington State which I'm sure has plenty of successful businessmen that have graduated from there but you're talking two different kind of you know population bases in and it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out I think a fix would have been and if the NCA wasn't so naive to figuring this out early uh, and letting it become a free-for-all, would have been a staggered pay system freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year with bonuses tied in if your team won or if you were all-league player and your team advanced with, say, you won a Pac-12 title or you advanced to the Sweet 16, each player gets a bonus. Um, but I think we're past that point. It's, not, it's no going back. Well, because they the greed got him in this situation, Dan. I mean, greed they for so long. I, I can I can see Mark Emmerich right now. They're 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 not employees. They're not employees. I'm just like, come on, man. Billions, billions would it be, ladies and gentlemen? March Madness brings in for three weeks. You telling me the kids in 1975 might have been a good deal to get a scholarship to pay for your education for playing college basketball. These days, with billions of dollars being made, Dan, it's just, it's just insane, man. And I don't know how they're going to balance it out. I will say I'm happy for the kids. I'm disappointed that a kid might really want to go to Gonzaga. Bulldog to his heart. But here comes U-Dub saying, with the money bag, saying, hey, we, we'll give you five men. Most people are going to say, well, Mark Few, <laughs> good luck to you, buddy. I'm going to go over here and play for this guy. Yeah, we might not make the tournament, but I'm about to cash in. And that seems to be what's happening, man. And that, and that part of it is what's unfortunate. So last question, rewind to when you were in college at UW. I don't know. I, the, the first year, my freshman year, I stayed in Haggett Hall. Second year, I lived off campus with a couple teammates. Say they had NIL back then. 
what business, be it at a restaurant or something, would you have wanted an NIL deal with in Seattle while you were a Husky? Oh, there's no, there's, 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 I don't even have to think about it, Dan. I, I would have been with Dick's Drive-In, man. I'd have had all the Dick's burgers you can eat back in the day. You know, that was the place when I was at UW. And I lived at Haggard Hall as well. But I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was at Dick's so much, I'm pretty sure I would have had an NIL deal with with Dick's Drive-In, you know. Not that phony Dick's Drive-In y'all got over there in Spokane that's selling sandwich, salads and fish sandwiches and stuff. I'm talking about that one that's on 45th. You know the one I'm talking about, Dan. I 100% agree Dick's, with you. The, y'all got the, the Dick's Drive-In in uh, Seattle is the original. That That is the true drive-in. You're right on that one. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Eldridge, great to connect. Thanks for joining on the ISO. And uh, enjoy the summer. I'm, I'm sure once uh, we get closer to college basketball season, you and I will be staying in touch, kind of comparing notes on all the great teams in college basketball. For sure, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. Enjoy your summer as well.